Beautiful people, what is going on? I am your host, Armand Lee, thanking you, welcoming you to episode 66 of the Quarterly Report. As always, I appreciate you rocking with me each and every week for about an hour or so. And on this week's episode, we got a great one for you. My cousin, Sadiq Abdul, is coming back on the show. And you know, when he's on the show, he's got one question that he has to be asked. Am I crazy? That's right. He's going to let you all know if some of the takes that I throw out here are a little off. Let's just say that, right? Also, Kendrick and Rihanna sang about it. Chris Brown sang about it in the past. Loyalty. But where does loyalty lie in sports and should it have a place? All that and more will be discussed this week on episode 66. But without further ado, let's get it going with our first topic this week. First quarter. On last week's episode, I teased it, but I felt like this is the perfect time to really dissect and break down how poorly run some of these organizations are. But before we start talking about big markets and small markets, I think it's important to provide some context. It always amazes me how whenever there is a work stoppage or a labor dispute in any professional sports, but specifically speaking about the NBA, the masses always end up falling with the owners, right? The owners, the, pe the people in power, which if you just look at it from an outside perspective, right, that goes against everything that this country supposedly says it stands for with unions and the worker, all that other stuff. Now, I, I personally feel why the masses always align themselves with ownership. I'm not going to get into that right now. Okay. If you, if you want to know my opinion on that, hit me up, email me, tweet at the show quarterly show. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. But this is going to be strictly sports that we're discussing in this first quarter. So it always, even though I kind of understand why and I have my own reasons to believe why the masses, and I'm not just talking about fans, I'm talking about the people who deliver the news, how they always align themselves with ownership. I still try to, you know, in my head wrestle with some of the talking points that are always given because I don't know about you guys. When I have a debate or an argument about people, I find the most effective strategy is using people's own words against them because it's only a matter of time before the whole, before they either raise their voice, cut you off or start insulting you because they know they're not in a position of power. You just, just wait. It's kind of like, you know, being a counter puncher or if you're a golfer, right? Just always try to hit for par. Don't ever try to make the big swings and just and just bet on your opponents making the huge mistakes. Kind of what we saw what happened this past Sunday with Tiger. Just play the par, play it safe, don't hit bogeys, but you're not going to swing for eagles and birdies and just let your opponents fall back. That's kind of my my arguing tactic strategy, if you will. And I, I bring that up because for those of you who remember, 2010, I believe it was, 2010, the work stoppage in the NBA. The big argument du jour was market size, right? That's all everyone was talking about, market size. Oh, my gosh, these small market teams can't compete. How how on earth can we, can we keep the market, these teams, from everybody going to Miami? Which, by the way, was comical because Miami is a medium-sized market. 
the same size market that Cleveland was. And this was all based on LeBron leaving Cleveland to go to Miami. Everybody overreacted. It's about market size, market size, market size. Forget the fact that at the time, right, the most successful franchise in the league at the time were the San Antonio Spurs, right? Small market. Also forget at the time, and currently, the majority of NBA teams are in large to medium-sized markets. You know, so yes, the, the New York Knicks and the Los Angeles Lakers and, uh, you know, the Chicago Bulls overall have an advantage over the Milwaukee Bucks and, you know, the Oklahoma City Thunder. But they're not that many Utah Jazzes and Sacramento Kings and San Antonio Spurs. Like, like there may be six legit small market teams, six, seven small market teams in the NBA. Most professional leagues don't, you know, the Des Moines, Iowa will not have an NBA team. It's just not going to start small market teams like that. And now, if you wanted to have a discussion about why certain cities have teams or contraction, sure, we could do that. But no, 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 no. Ownership always looks for reasons, excuses to put blame on players. And we as fans overwhelmingly eat that joint up. You've seen it this offseason with the players union asking for the, the cap spike. And now all of a sudden owners and, and the media members are pleading for, you know, the middle class of the NBA players. When Jabari Parkins making $20 million this upcoming season. Get out of here with that. But it, it, it's a trend. It goes with the long line of taking blame, right, excusing just foolish behavior. And dispersing it onto the players because that is a tried and true, true tactic that never fails. And the next time there's a, uh, a work labor issue in any of the major sports, particularly in football or basketball, I guarantee you there will be some cockamamie straw man argument that people will use as a talking point as to why this is a problem with the league. And I guarantee you that the majority of fans and members of the media will eat it up. That's what we do as a society. But I want to get back to small markets, right? Because that was the the issue at hand, or at least that's what they that was the issue that they prod, they trotted out. Small market teams can't succeed in today's NBA, despite the fact that the Spurs were on the verge of going to back to back championships, winning their fifth. Despite the fact that the Oklahoma City Thunder also made it to their very first, <laughs> you know. NBA Finals. In fact, the, the work stoppage hurt Oklahoma City because they said, you know what, we can't pay these luxury tax fees, you know, so we got to lose one of our, our core players. They, they broke up again. James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant. I can't wait until my daughter, I have this discussion with her, and she's looking at me like, Daddy, all three of them were on the same team? Like, yes. And all three of them wanted to stay? Yes. They traded James Harden for breadsticks. But Oklahoma City, they're an interesting team in this discussion. When you look at what they were and how they were operating as opposed to what they're currently doing now. Oklahoma City built their championship caliber roster through the draft. Multiple picks. They traded Ray Allen, right? They were able to get a pick. That turned out to be Jeff Green, and I'm not going to knock Jeff Green, so that wasn't necessarily a home run. But year in, year out, Kevin Durant, 
Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, Eric Maynard, all those guys, a lot of people forget about him before his knee surgery. All of those guys were drafted, and they had an amazing run, and that is how they built their championship core. And it was cheap. I mean, you know, their biggest free agent signing was what? Thabo Sevalosha? Was it an expensive signing? And they had they had the foundation to legit be a super team. We talk about the super team with the, the Warriors. Imagine Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, you know, on the same team. Now, currently, the Warriors wouldn't be what they were. And, and the entire dynamic of the NBA would be shifted if those three stayed together, right? Fast forward to 2017 and 2018. The Oklahoma City Thunder, they are trading away picks. Right, the one thing that built them a championship level, a championship caliber roster. They're now moving picks away a year after trading for a, an albatross of a contract. They traded for Carmelo Anthony. Any intelligent NBA fan would have been able to tell you that this is not going to work. And a year later, they realized, damn, that didn't work. So they're trading away picks to get him out of here. And in doing so, they have to take back another large contract in Dennis Schroeder, a guy who's being paid as a starter. He's now a backup and Lord knows how that works out. I don't think it's, it's necessarily an awful gamble, but it is a risk, right? You're trading on more years just to, just to, just to get out of a mistake that you've made. People in DC know this all too well about general managers trading away assets just to, kind of undo a mistake that they recently made that usually doesn't work out too well usually but Oklahoma City's a small market why would they go against what got them to the dance they were made into a championship level team uh, uh, not just a championship level team a dynasty they literally had a core of a dynasty and they are forgetting all of the things that got them to that point the Oklahoma City Thunder will have the largest payroll, I want to say, in league history this upcoming season. This is coming from the, the same men who were crying, oh my gosh, we can't, we can't afford it. We're a small market team. Now, that is one scenario that is going on, but juxtapose that, the Oklahoma City Thunder, to what we've seen from Boston recently. The Boston Celtics, they knew, you know what, they went to two NBA Finals, they went to a number of other Eastern Conference championships. They won one title with the big three, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, and Rajon Rondo to a large extent. And they was like, you know what? We had this, this era of Celtic basketball, it has run its course. So before it was clear to everybody that KG and Paul Pierce were washed, they made a trade that they are still benefiting from today. Still to this day, a trade that will have set that franchise up for generations, they traded their two franchise players, if you will, and got, I don't even know how many picks <laughs> they ended up getting for that because they still get picks from it. They're still getting picks. And what is Danny Age, what has he done since then? He has built through the draft. He has been reluctant to sign huge, large contracts. Now, he's going to have to do it sooner or later. They just gave Marky Smart, you know, a decent medium-sized contract. But he hasn't paid Kyrie Irving yet. 
He didn't pay Isaiah Thomas. He shipped Isaiah Thomas in, with, in the trade that got him, you know, Kyrie. And he drafted Jalen Brown, drafted Jason Tatum, drafted Marcus Smart. These, all these guys who are contributors, Terry Rozier, he's just drafting guys, right? And not signing crazy large contracts. He signed Gordon Hayward. He signed Al Horford. Those are two guys. Al Horford's deal is almost up now. And they are a team with a perfect blend of veteran leadership, young, promising talent, and a championship, a legit championship title contender. But Boston, the problem is Boston's not a small market. Look at what Oklahoma City has done. The highest payroll in the league, trading for Carmelo Anthony, and a year later having to take back longer salary and trading a pick to get a backup. Right? Where the big market team in Boston, one of the biggest markets in this league, they're doing what Oklahoma City was doing, what they were successful at doing. Look at Toronto. Masai Ujiri's been the head of Toronto for, what, five, six seasons? He got there, traded Andrea Bargnani, one of the worst players in the league. Traded him to my sorry Knicks and got a first-round pick for it. <laughs> they traded a bad player and got a first-round pick. He His second big move, traded Rudy Gay. Got him out of town. And with those moves and acquiring picks, look at the young talent that they have available. He brought in Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry now is a multi-time all-star. Paired him with DeMar DeRozan and the Toronto Raptors have had been the most, this is the most successful run of that organization's history. And went to a conference championship that people continue to conveniently leave out when discussing this kind of era of Raptors basketball. I live in D.C. and I hear Wizards fans and people who cover the Wizards ad nauseum talk about how Toronto pissed the bed and how they threw up on themselves and how they always fall apart in the playoffs. And I think to myself, man, what are y'all talking about? How can you, a Wizards fan or a Bucks fan or a Knicks fan, Complain about what Toronto has done. You know what I always say, man? You got to self-assess. You got to understand your place and your position. Because you sound crazy as a Wizards fan or a Bucks fan complaining about the Raptors and what they haven't been able to do in the playoffs when they've been far more successful than the teams that you say that you love. But I digress. Masai Ujiri was able to build Toronto, this version of the Toronto Raptors into the most successful roster and successful period of Raptors basketball in franchise history by trading and acquiring picks, being reluctant to give big-time contracts. And the moment you do trade or you do sign your players to a big-time contract, the, the clock starts. Okay, boom. DeMar, you were resigned. Lowry, you were resigned. What are we going to do? And after a year or two of second-round losses, he traded one of them for an elite player. And in doing so, kept flexibility moving forward. Operating the way the Oklahoma City Thunder should be. Contrast that to the San Antonio Spurs. We talked about the big trade last week. San Antonio, small market team. They had just came off a finals win. You know, Tim Duncan retires, and a year later, they signed LaMarcus Aldridge to a max contract. And everybody was like, what? what? LaMarcus? 
already in his 30s. LaMarcus Aldridge had his best career year last season. And what did it mean, right? The first time in what almost two decades the Spurs didn't win 50 wins. Kawhi Leonard, there are reports that he was upset with some of the moves that the Spurs were making because they weren't adding the necessary talents that he felt he deserved as a marquee player. So we know how that ended, right? The Spurs' relationship with Kawhi Leonard. And they acquire an aging, uh, less player in DeMar DeRozan. When they could have gotten a lot of picks from other teams, they decided to go with the actual player, who, again, is approaching 30 now. Still has three years left on his contract. That's not the way the Spurs were built. What was the big trade the Spurs got when they were winning championships? You know, they traded George Hill to get Kawhi Leonard, a pick. They built their team through the draft and then traded or signed small, lesser players. The Spurs now, they're signing overrated, high-usage players in LaMarcus Aldridge and trading great players for good players in DeMar DeRozan when they could have drafted or traded Kawhi for pieces and picks. The tried-and-true way that we have seen the NBA, unless you're the Lakers of the Celtics, that's the way you win championships. That's the way the Spurs have won their five championships, right? That's precisely how they got Kawhi Leonard. They traded a good player for a pick. You see what I'm saying? Why is it that the teams who are doing this well, we have a history, we have established a history with, with Oklahoma City, with San Antonio, Small market teams who have done successful. And how were they successful? Avoiding large contracts and acquiring picks. Understanding which players' perceived value was actually greater than their true value. And exploiting it. Trading them. Exactly what Boston did with Isaiah Thomas. Exactly what Toronto did with DeMar DeRozan. But the problem lies, the problem is the big markets are doing it. Better than the small markets. And in fact, the best small market team right now in terms of a, a well-run organization has to be Utah. The Utah Jazz, in my opinion, are the second best team in the Western Conference. They have one legit franchise player in Rudy Gobert, and they have a young player, a pick that they just drafted in Donovan Mitchell, who has superstar written all over him. But they too, even though the Jazz are running their organization incredibly well, they were one decision away from maxing out Gordon Hayward just two off seasons ago. Now, make no mistake, I think Gordon Hayward is a good player. I think he's really good. In fact, I thought he was really good when he was playing in Utah. But some of these Gordon Hayward takes now, since he's become a Celtic, are just through the roof, okay? Gordon Hayward has had one great season, and that great season happened in his contract year. Nine times out of ten, when a player has a great year in his contract year, we have a question mark, right? We raise an eyebrow, okay. We're like, okay, well, you were great this year. Was it just because you were playing for a contract? Gordon Hayward has flown all the way over any type of criticism. I've seen people say he's better than Klay Thompson. I think Gordon Hayward is damn good. Damn good. I think he's an all-star caliber player. He ain't better than Klay Thompson. <laughs> all right? And he's not, at least from what he has shown thus far through his career, 
one of the elite players in this league. Utah was willing to pay him a max salary. And they were saved by Boston. Because who knows what Donovan Mitchell is if they still had Gordon Hayward on that team. Utah is positioned well, very well, to make a Western Conference Finals run this year. Absolutely. And they had to be saved from a big market team. But now you see what Utah is doing, right? Utah is the small market team who is being run well. Look at Milwaukee. They traded for Eric Bledsoe. What were they doing with that? Eric Bledsoe, a player who has never been the same since a knee injury, a player who's got a large contract. And Milwaukee doing that, what did they do? They put themselves up against the wall because they know they need to have a great year or two before Giannis starts looking at other teams wondering if the grass will be greener. Things move fast in the NBA, man. And if you're a small market team, the best thing you can do is take your time. Take your time. Don't be in a rush to throw out big money. Don't be in a rush to trade away picks. You want another example of a big market team doing something, do, running their organization the way small market teams should? Look at Philadelphia. People act like Sam Hankey was in charge of the Sixers for a decade. It's like three, four years. Three years. And now, look, everybody considers Philadelphia a team that has a legit shot at making it to the finals based on what Sam Hankey, the foundation that he laid. No big contracts. Don't trade away picks and acquire as many picks as you can. That's how small market teams should be run. That's how Boston, Toronto, Philadelphia have run their organizations for the last half a decade. And look at where they're at now. And compare that to where the Spurs, Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Milwaukee Bucks, three small market teams are. Add Memphis if you want. Look at where those teams are compared to where those three big market teams are. And ask yourself, small market, the market size was a huge deal Eight years ago, what happened? You want to know what happened? They knew, just like many fans knew, that that argument was complete and utter BS. And what happens when it, when you get BS, you flush it. You throw it away. Market size was always BS. Just like the players union and the middle class of the players is BS now. It's easy to say it after the fact. Just remember this the next time there's a labor dispute. Because just because market size BS that we got rid of that, there's a whole new heat coming our way sooner or later. All right, guys, if you disagree with me on how teams should run or how small market teams are being foolishly ran, and you disagree with me, and you want to let me know, you want to set me straight, go ahead, tweet at me in the show at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Or email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. Look at the Brooklyn Nets. Right? Billy Billy King, he ruined that organization with that aforementioned trade with the Celtics. The Nets just slowly but surely just acquiring picks because they can't win right now. They just have no opportunity to. But they got a clean cap. They're being smart. They're being frugal. And they're acquiring picks. Five years from now, 
let's look at where the Nets will be because I think that they're going to be a successful franchise. And how are they doing it? By running their team, their organization, the way small market teams should. And when big market teams are doing what small market teams refuse to do and doing it better, that's how you have competitive, uh, a lack of competitive balance. Because small market teams aren't working with the same cushion that big market teams are. We know that. So if you are in a small market team, you better be doing everything right. But if you're cheating, if you're cutting corners, it will come back to you. And you're seeing it on full display. I'm going to talk about the Spurs a little bit later in the show when my cousin stops by. But we're going to take a timeout in the sports world. No basketball topics in the second quarter because something else has piqued my interest. It's our second topic this week. Second quarter. Many of you may be wondering why so many people are flooding your timelines or talking about upcoming movies or television series, many of, it, many of which have to do with like science fiction or comic book related, right? Well, that's because, and I've learned this over the past few years, Comic-Con. Like I had no idea what this was five years ago, right? But now it's fully and completely, you know, on my radar in a, in a large way. And in fact, my brother-in-law was actually going to go out there to San Diego this past week, but he wasn't able to do so. But Comic-Con apparently is like when all these new trailers and releases are, are scheduled, you know, they, they, they unveil the trailers to some of these new projects and it gets a lot of people uh, excited. And this year there were a few, um, high profile releases that have captured many people's imagination. Now for me of all the trailers that I've seen, you know, glass, the, I guess the sequel to unbreakable slash split. That was one that was like, okay, I'm ready for this. And the second was venom. Now I've already known that venom is coming out later this fall. I'm excited about it. I can't wait. However, that's that's those are properties that have a history right of being successful venom is a marvel movie i i per, i honestly don't know all the the intricate details between marvel and sony and all the other stuff that's going on there with the spider-man um assets but i know as a marvel film marvel has a track record of putting out quality uh films glass is the sequel to Unbreakable. People really enjoyed Unbreakable, which came out decades ago now. Or maybe just a decade and a half, whatever. And Split was a uh, critically and a financial success for M. Night Shyamalan and whatever motion picture studios that released it. So this is the third um, installment of that series. And there's a lot of anticipation for that film. But I want to talk about DC, right? The DC comic universe. Because man, they on they lad, they they're not on solid ground. What DC does for television and they've done well. Right? I like Gotham. People love Flash. I haven't watched that or Arrow, but people love those those shows as well. They've been successful that way. Years ago, one of my best friends loved Smallville. Like, loved it. They've done really, really well on television, but on screen with the film. Oh, Slim, I don't know. And I saw the trailer for Aquaman, bro. 
There are a lot of people who are excited. And I feel like they're excited because they, they just want it to work. I saw that, Jay, and I was like, man, what the hell is this? What the hell is this? I'm going to reserve judgment. I'm not excited to see Aquaman. I'll wait till some of my partners. I've had Mark Moore on the show a few times in the past. I'm going to wait to see what he says about it. Because I'm not, I'm not fully into like the actual comic books. Right? Growing up, it was Batman for me. That was it. Batman, Punisher. That was pretty much the extent of my actual comic book reading. As I grew up, Venom was a character that I read a lot about. And then on the cartoons, I watched him. Boom, boom. Right? But that was pretty much it. Aquaman never really did it for me, Slim. And I forget who it was. I saw this on Twitter a while ago. And it was, it was, it was hilarious, but it was a great point. They were saying how Aquaman has one skill. And that one skill, everyone does in the summer. Right? It's the number one activity that people do in the summer. He swims. You are making a movie about a guy who is this great swimmer and has all these underwater powers, and you're releasing it not in the summertime when every other water movie has ever been released because everyone loves to swim. Everyone loves the water when it's hot. No, you are releasing Aquaman in, on Christmas. In Christmas. You feel me? This like to me, that's just a, that just basically sums up just how backwards DC is. Like you, you're releasing a superhero movie. What superhero movies come out around Christmas anyway? I could be wrong, right? Because you know, Black Panther came out in February and was a huge, massive hit. So you don't necessarily have to always come out. In the summer months, but damn it, I'm 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 really curious. How many blockbuster superhero movies have come out around Christmas? You know, let alone a movie about a guy who swims. That just seems like a massive oversight, just dropping the ball. Maybe I'm being too hard on DC, but can you blame me? Slim, they had Christopher Nolan. He set them up. I'm talking about Jason Kidd, John Stockton-esque alley-oops. All day, I mean, after the Dark Knight trilogy, boom. They had so much goodwill built up. People who don't even like superheroes love the Dark Knight trilogy. You can't turn on the television and go through uh, the Paramount Channel or FX or TNT or whatever, any of those FXX, whatever other... The Dark Knight or The Dark Knight Rises is always on. Always. Because it's that damn good. I routinely have arguments with people. Who is the better villain, the Joker or Bane? I'm not going to spend time on that now. But it's, a, it's, it's not as one-sided and lopsided as many of you all think. I promise you that. But who knew about Bane before Christopher Nolan? You feel me? They set up the Batman, if they wanted to, they set up that universe perfect. But what was the problem? They were in such a hurry. They saw what Marvel was doing across the street, and they were like, dog, we got to catch up. So immediately following Man of Steel, right, they come out with Batman versus Superman. Like, that's that's like when if you're playing spades, 
And I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Or you playing a card game and you got you got the hammer card and you you just can't wait to lay it down. I, I do this with my daughter. We playing Uno now. She gets a draw four. She wants to throw that thing down on the first chance she gets. I'm like, sometimes, baby, you gotta wait. Wait till someone says Uno. Wait till you see they call. You gotta have some patience. They couldn't wait to give you Superman versus Batman, even though we were just a handful of years removed from the Dark Knight trilogy. And what was that? What did they do with that? They ruined the entire foundation of what they were trying to build. They couldn't get Batman right. They rushed Flash. They rushed Cyber Earth. The whole thing. Now, the best thing that DC has, besides Wonder Woman, is the Teen Titans Go cartoon. Side note, I'm in the theater Friday night with my daughter for that. Make no mistake. I can't wait for that, Jane. And you want to talk about DC and them being all over the place. There's another thing. Another trailer that was released this past week from Comic-Con was the Titans trailer. The live action, edgy, you know what I'm saying, quote unquote serious Teen Titans. I guess it was going to be a television series for their streaming DC streaming service, right? But in Dragonfly, Dragonfly Jones on Twitter, I remember this. He made a perfect point. Teen Titans Go is so successful, right? And it is so good that anytime now when I see Robin, I can't take him seriously. You feel me? So they got this new dark Robin where he's cursing out Batman and these daughters. I said, man, nobody taking you seriously. What do you do? Who are you supposed to be? You Robin. You feel me? You worked in a circus. You did flips on the trampeze. Get your ass. Sit your ass down. Shout out to Angry Man. You feel me? It's like, what are y'all doing? Y'all got a Flash TV show. You got Flash in the theater. They're two different actors. Like, you could work this together if you put some time into it. I felt like DC has rushed through so much of the important phase, like the foundational stages of trying to build this universe. People forget, Marvel didn't just come up on the Avengers. This has been 10 years in the making. And they've had some trash movies along the way people forget that first hulk film that joint sucked and what did marvel do like, all right that was bad we're gonna put this to the back burner for a while now we're gonna do iron man and we're gonna build all this other stuff we, they put out what two iron man movies before they did thor or no they did the the, the edward norton hulk movies but that was years after the nick nolte trash that came out with john woo directed it right they took their time. They, they established their foundation. What has DC done that make, gives you any confidence that Aquaman is going to work? Aquaman and Christmas. Why do you, anyone think that that's going to be something that's going to finally... Because they broke through with Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Everybody loved Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was a good film. They, it was groundbreaking in that it was the first film where with a, a superhero film with the woman lead. And it did well. It did great in the box office. It was received well. Boom. And how did they follow that up with? Justice League. Are you serious? They're just so quick to try to rush through things. Slim, I watched Justice League and I was like, what the hell are they doing? They couldn't have run that script or premise by anybody who did not stand to gain money. Right? At the end of that movie, for those of you who are not aware, the Justice League, they're fighting aliens. And at the end, the aliens turn into flowers. I kid you not. 
I kid you not. Bro, my daughter could have said, yo, that joint sucks. Whatever y'all going with that, throw that away and start over. Anybody could have came up. Like, what? Batman versus Superman basically pivoted and changed because they their mother's names are the same. Batman's ready to kill Superman, and because Superman says Martha, that was what stopped. Like, what? They've been talking about Batman versus Superman since I Am Legend came out back in the mid-2006. Like Y'all had all that time to kind of get this thing right. It's your second movie, and you ruined it. I have no confidence in anything that y'all doing. Aquaman's coming out in Christmas. <laughs> when everybody's tired of being wet, everybody's tired of the rain and fearful of the snow, let's make a movie that's going to be 50% in the water. Good luck, brother. And then they release Shazam. I don't know. I heard Shazam. I thought Kazam. I was like, hold on. What? Shaq's movie's coming out. And then I realized this is a character that I have no idea. I know nothing about this character. And that looks promising. I'm not going to see it. Because I don't know anything about him. Maybe it's good. And if word of mouth travels and reaches me, it's like, yo, you really need to see it? Sure, I'll go out and check it out. If it's a fun, lighthearted superhero movie, boom, why not? But who believes that DC has the, the ability to do that now? They're, in my opinion, outside of Wonder Woman, the product that they have that is most successful is a cartoon that is a satire based on another cartoon in Teen Titans Go. When you've got Batman, Superman, Flash, all these different hugely popular like entities, and you just keep on ruining it, at some point you got to be like, look, bro, we're going to have to hit a reset button. Because they're not competing. They're competing with Marvel, but they're really not. Marvel got the jump. You are competing on trying just to get to a level where at some point in the future, you can be legit competitors. But right now, Marvel's just making money. And DC's playing catch up and ruining themselves. Ruining their own future. Aquaman in the damn winter. I was, I was like, man, what y'all doing, bro? Who's running the ship? Who's running things over there? Fire them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're the Manchurian candidate. Stan Lee's nephew is running things in D.C., man. They're making sure that y'all bammers never catch up. <sighs> All right, man. I heard the horn. I nerded out there for a second with my comic book opinions. But I'm real, Joe. Sorry-ass Aquaman. Shazam. What the hell? <laughs> God bless them, bro. Good luck. Good luck. Because after they turn aliens into flowers, I don't know if you could get worse than that. But we're going to see. Anyway, that was the second quarter. You heard the horn. So that means we are on the verge of halftime to reset the game plan to get things back in order. But before we go to halftime, we're making a return to stoppage time. It's been a few weeks since we've had stoppage time. And the tweets and the emails have piled up so i'm going to respond to some of your questions and concerns here again for you guys who don't know new to the show stoppage time is a chance where i get to interact with you all the listeners um you guys can tweet me in the show at quarterly show 
That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. If you have questions, if you disagree with something that I've said, want to challenge me, or just want to hear me talk about something that you haven't heard or you're interested in, you can tweet at us your concerns or your questions, or you can email us at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, quarterly is spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. All right, so we've got a few questions again. I've been lacking the past few weeks, so we're going to get a few of them out here right now. Uh, first one is from Real DC. Uh, tweeted me about my idea about, you know, figuring out a way. A few weeks back, I talked to you guys about, you know, the issues with competitive balance and how, you know, the NBA, all these super teams, and how can we really do away with super teams. And I suggested that, you know, we do away with individual max contracts, right? You can sign any player outside of their rookie deal to however much money you want, but there's still a salary cap and there's still a salary floor. Well, real Mr. Real DC says that doing that won't change competitive balance. It will just only give the the, the rich teams, you know, uh, a, a higher leg to stand on. And shout out to Mr. Real DC. I appreciate your your tweets. I don't know how you how do you figure. Um. We'll see. I mean, I think we're going to see it next offseason. The Golden State Warriors aren't going to be able to keep. I, I doubt highly that the Warriors keep Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson next offseason. All three of those guys will be up. Their contracts will be up. So I doubt very seriously that they'll be able to keep all three because those three guys are going to want a max contract. And the luxury tax that they the Warriors will have to take will be significant. Everybody likes to win. People don't like to lose their money. And I, don't get me wrong. The Warriors aren't losing their money. They have no concern about losing their money. But they don't like to spend money. And that luxury tax bill is going to be high this year. I can only imagine if they were to offer a max to Durant, Clay, and Draymond, what that tax would be. I can't foresee that happening. Now, again, let me make my sure I make my point clear. If there are no individual uh, max contracts, you could theoretically sign LeBron James to $50 million a year. We have seen in the past players take a $5 million pay cut, a $6 million pay cut, maybe even an $8 million pay cut. I don't see any player taking a 10, 20, maybe $30 million or more pay cut. So if you want to sign LeBron and there is competition for him, maybe let's not use LeBron because he's, he's an older player. But if you want to sign Anthony Davis in 2020 when he's a free agent, and there will absolutely be competition for him. The market will be drove, drove, dr the market will be driven up to a point where if there are no maximum contracts, right? Someone could theoretically offer Anthony Davis 30 to 40 million dollars for a 5-year maybe you can even extend the contract length, right? 6-year deal, right? So, if you sign Anthony Davis to 40 million dollars and the salary cap is still like at 111 or maybe 120. If you sign one player to $40 million, that means you have $80 million to sign 13 other players. So if Anthony Davis goes $40 million, what do you think Giannis is going to go for? He's not, if he's going to want to go for $40 million too. So then the Warriors wouldn't be able to buy or assign Anthony Davis and Giannis to two $40 million contracts. Cause that's $80 million, right? And you got to, either 111 or 100 or 120 million dollars to sign to fill out a whole roster so it then becomes like those memes that you see on twitter right 
you've got $15, make your, your best starting five. And there are some people who would go get two $5 players and then fill everything else out. There's some people who would go four and then a few threes. And you look, f- so th- it becomes, then you really put the onus on your front office on how to construct a, a winning championship team because the talent pool is deeper than ever. But when you have maximum contracts, you're basically saying, right, players at John Wall caliber or Chris Stops or Devin Booker or uh, Damian Lillard, which are very good to promising players, but they then make the same amount of money that Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and LeBron make. Well, then that's that's part of the reason why there's there's an imbalance, right? Because the Stephs and the KDs and the Kawhis and the LeBrons, they're among the best players in the league just like Damian Lillard is, just like Jimmy Butler is. But the LeBrons and the KDs are so much better than the Walls and the the Klay Thompson. So if you max those guys, you're getting one of the best. But even those best aren't anywhere close to being where Kawhi Leonard and Giannis and Anthony Davis are. So the whole structure point is all messed up. So you use players rightful, right? ambition to make the most amount of money that they can and you use that against them so you won't see players taking a 20 million dollar discount to join forces with three other all-stars or all nba talent players because no one will sacrifice i believe no one will sacrifice that much money to join forces so hopefully that made sense all right second this week this is the email coming from casey from gaithersburg uh believe don't know if this is a he or she, uh, but they say, I'm hating on the Wizards. John Wall is going to prove you and all the other haters wrong, exclamation mark. Also, she, they like listening to the show. So I appreciate that. You know, you can, come, you can come at me hard if you feel that I've been hating on a player. I don't think that I've hated on John Wall. In fact, I think I've said several different times, John Wall is one of my favorite players in the league. Um so I enjoy John Wall. Uh, I don't know why you think I'm saying John Wall's a hater. I would love to defend my position because if I said something, I believe it. Um, I just don't know what I would have said that makes you think that I don't like John Wall. But in any event, um, I can take this as a, a sign of the Wizards. I, I'm, I'm going to defend myself as a as someone who has been critical at times of the Wizards. Um, I feel that John... And the Wizards have improved this offseason, right? I think they are a better team now than they are last year, depending on the minutes that have are given to Austin Rivers and Thomas Sandoransky. If Austin Rivers is taking minutes away from Thomas Sandoransky, I'm not so certain how much better this team is. But that being said, the top of the East is much better. The Toronto Raptors are better. They won 59 wins last year. They are a better team this year. The Boston Celtics were the second team, second seed last year. They there's no reason to believe that they're not going to be significantly better this upcoming season. Same with Philadelphia, right? This is the second year of Ben Simmons on the floor. This is the second year that Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Dario Saric will be playing together. Second year of Markel Fultz. There's no reason to believe that he's going to play as poorly as he played last season, especially when you see how well he played toward the end of last regular season. Joel Embiid had a minutes restriction last year. He's not going to have that this year. I could go on and on and on, right? 
So the top three seeds from last year in the Eastern Conference are significantly better. The Wizards improved, but I don't think they improved to the to the way that Toronto improved or to the degree that Boston improved or Philadelphia. And then you look at Indiana, who has improved as well, and Giannis finally has a decent head coach. So I am not nearly as optimistic on the Wizards as a lot of people, particularly in this area, are. I could be wrong, and there there is reason for optimism, but I will say this in regards to John. And I'm going to talk about this later with my cousin. John Wall is 27. He'll be turning 28, I want to say, in April. I don't know how his game ages. I really don't. And he's about to... He's still got another year before he signed his four-year Superbacks goes into effect, I believe. The Wizards better win. If they're going to do anything, anything real, anything tangible, I think they got two, two to three years to do it. Because if John's making $40 million and his game starts to decline, which every player's game does, and a player who is so reliant upon his athleticism like John is, those guys decline tend to happen before guys who are more relied upon their skill. You can't pay John $40 million and he's on the decline and think that you have a chance to, to compete for a conference championship. So if the, if the wizards are going to do it, they're rolling this out. Dwight talks about, he wants to play eight more years and all this other stuff. They got two, maybe three years to get it done. I don't know how likely that is. But I will say this, it's more likely that the Wizards make it to a conference championship in the next two to three years than they do in the next four plus years, okay? I don't think that's me hating on John. That's kind of me just being real, you feel me? But thank you, Casey, for that uh, email. And lastly, we're going to end with Muhammad from Silver Spring, and he asks, did I hear what Jabari said about defense and what are my thoughts? Yeah, I heard the Jabari comments. For those of you who don't know, Jabari Parker signed a two-year, $40 million contract with the Chicago Bulls. He's from Chicago. Uh, he's someone who has dealt with significant injuries and surgeries to his knees. At his press conference, he says, and I'm paraphrasing here. I don't have the quote with me. Uh, but he says, you know, I don't get paid to play defense. I don't put that much time into my defense. I get paid to score. So when you first see or hear those comments, and again, I was paraphrasing. When you first see or hear those comments, you're like, yo, this guy's crazy, right? He's tripping. He's not even talking about defense. He doesn't want to play. But then when you dive in a little bit deeper, he's right. The NBA consistently has shown you that they don't really care about defense when it comes to getting a contract, right? When it comes to being paid. Rudy Gobert didn't sign for a max when he, his contract was a full max in Utah. Draymond Green didn't either. When his contract was up in Golden State, he signed a, a, a big contract. It was close, but it wasn't a full maximum contract. When you see guys like Carmelo Anthony making the money he's making or Jabari Parker making the money he's making, Zach Levine making $18 million, it's clear the NBA has and always will put an onus on scoring, even if you're not efficient at doing so, right? You can be one of the best defensive players in the league, Rudy Gobert or Draymond Green, and won't get a mass contract. 
and you could be someone who is coming off of multiple knee surgeries, has underperformed his entire career, and be one of the worst defensive players in the league, like Jabari Parker, and still make $20 million a year. Why? Because he can score. And that's, it sounds crazy coming from a player's mouth, but he's absolutely right. You know, the league has always valued scoring over anything else, even if it's not at a high clip, an efficient, special clip of scoring. If you could, if your PPG is high, you're going to get paid. That's, that's just the way it is in the NBA. So the fact that Jabari Parker at least understands it, again, self-assessment. He knows what time it is. I got no problem. He knows it. He's just talking about a glitch in the system. So I, on that level, I don't have a problem with it because the Bulls knew what they were signing. Everybody knows it. Jamal Crawford will be playing longer than Dabo Cephalosha. Cephalosha is a better player. But because Cephalosha doesn't score like Jamal Crawford, he won't get the, the length in the years and the salary when their careers are done that Crawford will have gotten. It's just the way it is. All right, so um, Real DC, Casey, Muhammad, thank you guys for the emails, tweets, and everyone else who wants to get involved with the show. I appreciate it. Make sure you do it. We try to do it every other week here on the show where I get in contact and interact with you all. I love this segment. It gives me an opportunity to talk to you guys who listen to the show each and every week. So I appreciate you guys. Again, tweet at us, quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show, or email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. All right, guys, that's the end of stoppage time, and we're going to move right into halftime, where this week we're going to bring back a segment that we've only done once before, but I really enjoyed it. It's when someone says such a, a random comment, such a ridiculous comment, that you literally have to question, and they may, they may not be getting any. They must not be getting any, because there's no way your brain can operate in this level of anger, frustration, or just pure uh, ridiculousness. Foolish, foolishness. There's no way that your brain can operate that way and say something that stupid if you're not getting a release. Like, that's the only excuse. And this week, I'm talking about Larry Fedora. You guys haven't heard his quotes? You're in luck. Because this is part two of the Me So Horny All-Stars. Take a listen. Oh, yeah. Have you ever heard someone say something so mean or stupid that you instantly tell yourself, damn, they need to get some? Well, those people are the Me So Horny All-Stars, and this week, their newest member, UNC head football coach Larry Fedora, for these recent comments on football being under attack. The things that we change year in and year out and tweaking the game for player safety, all of those things, I think are good for the game. And I said it in there. I think the game is safer right now than it's ever been in the history of the game. That doesn't mean you're going to eliminate all kind of, I mean, all the injuries. It's just not, it's not possible. But the game is better than it's ever been. And I believe the game's under attack right now. I really do. And uh, if we're not careful, you know, we're going to lose what the, real, what the game is all about. There will be decline of our country, there's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind. I, I think because the lessons that you learn in the game of football uh, relate to everything that's going to happen in the rest of your life. If we stop learning those lessons, we're going to struggle. And in some ways, we're, we're struggling more now than we ever have. Are we ever going to be a, a perfect country? No. 
not by any means, but I, I do think the game of football has had a major impact on who we are as a country. Somebody give this man some ass, please. In the immortal words of Lauren Hill, how are you going to win when you ain't right within, Mr. Fedora? All right. That's this week's edition of the Me So Horny All-Stars. Remember, strap up, my friends. This man is getting paid to teach our children, to mold and shape the minds of our children. And he's running, I, these type of people, for real. I'm being dead ass when I say this. These people, they scare me the most. Football has somehow bred this subculture that's almost like a cult. Like people literally think our society is tied somehow to football. Now, I understand people who are like, yo, you learn a lot of really important life lessons in all of sports, right? Team sports particularly are important, you know, I feel for like, you know, developing certain characteristics, certain traits. But it ain't just football that teaches you leadership skills and how to interact with other people and problem solving. Why can't it be basketball or baseball or soccer or track? Why does it have to be football? Like people put this crazy important, this this insane amount of importance into this sport. It's a sport. It's a game. You understand what I'm saying? Of all the things that are going on in this world, of all the things that are going on in each and every one of our lives, football is not going to be the measuring stick on the stick on whether or not we are a functioning and a competent society. And the fact that we like, there are a lot of people who feel this way. I saw people actually defending this dude, bro. And like the only thing I could come up with it, he not getting any. There's just no way. And side note, the first time I did it, this this segment, I got some pushback, right? So let me just make sure I clean this up, okay? If you are abstaining from sex, if you are choosing to abstain from sex, I salute you. I have done that before in the past years ago. It is the hardest thing I have ever had to do. I'm not talking about you. For those of you who are not sleeping or not having sex, who are virgins, you don't know what you're missing out. So no, this is not directed towards you. Salute you on your path on whatever it is that you are doing, I am not making fun of anybody, okay? Because I got some pushback the first time I did this segment. I want to make sure no one is being offended, right? It's a joke. But if you are actively looking for sex and you're not getting it, you get wound up really tight. And then you start saying really stupid things like the Ameri our society as American, Americans, right? is on the brink of falling off partly because of football this war on football even though football literally is on every single channel at some point throughout the year if this is a war on football that is if we are currently right partaking in a war on football we are getting our collective asses kicked because football is everywhere war on football man this this person is a paid state employee of north carolina Saying that dumb stuff. You better get some loving. Some sexual healing out this joint. Because you sound stupid, Slim. Alright. I'm done. Right? I'm not a football. A lot of people feel like I'm a, a football hater. And I'm bashing football. I'm not. But, like, there are a lot of football sycophants out there, man. It's a cult.
drinking that Jim Jones juice, man. Y'all better watch out. You feel me? All right, enough about that. We're back. The show is back. We made our halftime adjustments. We're ready to finish up strong. So we're going to start the third quarter off with my guest this week, my family, my cousin, Sadiq Abdul. All right, y'all already know what it is. Each month, my cousin, Sadiq Abdul, sports analyst, stops by to break down his unique perspective on the world of sports and entertainment and play the game that we always play, where he tells me if my takes are crazy or not. Sadiq, what's going on, cuz? Hey, man, feel good to be back. What's up, cuz? You already know what it is. We've got a lot to discuss. A lot has gone on in the world of sports since the last time you've been on. But before we get to that, again, my cousin Sadiq Abdul is a sports analyst in the D.C. area, but talks about a wide variety of topics, and you can catch him on the newest episode of The Rail World, a podcast by a local um, podcaster in the D.C. area. You can catch it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to podcasts, The Rail World either at the end of June, July, or beginning of August. Make sure you guys check that out. All right, Deke, like I said, when you and I link up, it's always you get the opportunity to let me know if I'm crazy or not with some of these takes that I dish out on a weekly basis. And we're going to start locally. Obviously, the Wizards had a huge offseason, most notably signing Dwight Howard, trading for Austin Rivers, and signing Jeff Green. But I'm not going to break down what the Wizards will or won't do this season. A lot of people have been giving their best guesses. That's not what we do here on the quarterly report. But what I will say, and this is where I need you to tell me if I'm crazy or not, the Washington Wizards have a two, maybe three-year at max window to get anything done, right? Whatever the bar is for the Wizards, they needed to get it done in these next two years, whether that's reach Eastern Conference Finals, maybe even reach the NBA Finals, because I love John. Uh, someone called me a hater, a John Wall hater early in the show, but I love John. He's one of my favorite players in the world, but I don't think his game ages well. And as he's 27, it'll be 28 next year. The time is definitely ticking for the Wizards to get something, whatever goal they have, they need to get it done in the next two years. Am I crazy? I would have to actually agree with that. Cause, uh, basically not just wall or build or anything like that, but my thing is it's the white signing. So basically, his his is like a two year contract, you know, with a player option to come back the second year, which I got him staying just just off GP of you know being bounced around the last few years. So I got him coming back regardless. If he has a great year, he's gonna come back, and then if he has a so so year, he still got to prove that it was it was a bad year, or whatever. So he's gonna come back. But yeah, I think I want to say John's about twenty eight, if I'm not mistaken, twenty seven, twenty eight. So he's gonna be rounding about thirty in those two years. So yes, we. And especially by the time of like ball, watching Boston and Philly and these other teams mature, they'll be rounding to like, let's say Tatum and Brown. They'll be rolling around to their third and fourth, you know, like the end of their fourth year of experience and whatnot. So, yes, we need to get it as fast as possible because we're going to be going downhill while other teams are ascending going up here. I, I, I can't stress this enough, man. John has had three knee surgeries in the last three years, and his game is predicated so much on his athleticism. I really just don't think his game ages well. And he's approaching year 30. And it, it's a cliff. It's coming. And I hope that he's a Russell Westbrook type of player. But I don't know. The odds are that someone with that type of athleticism who has that type of uh, medical procedures already in the books, it, the, the prospects of him continuing to be this athletic marvel, it just isn't that likely. Yeah. I never liked all the contact, even at 19 and 20 when he was young, young, before he even changed it 
to our new uniforms. When we were the old Wizards uniform. I never liked the contact he used to take anyway, where he would hit the ground hard and everything. So, in saying that, that's going to take a toll on his body. He he has to work on, you know, developing a floater or something that gets him not as much contact. I mean, it's good to go to the line and everything, you know, getting that contact to, you know, get free throws. But sometimes he got to find a way to – because his jumper hasn't even matured to the point where you could be like, oh, he's, he's going to age well as far as his skill set at 35, 36. And then just watching watching him lately with these injuries and just the way if you really pay attention to his, like, body mass – his weight kind of goes up and down, even if his even if his muscle, his weight goes up and down kind of here and there. Like you know, one month he's looking real slim and, and fit this way, then the next month he's kind of bulked up. That's not good on your knees and your joints left and right. So yeah, I, honestly, I mean, I hate to say it, I wish he does uh, age well, but I I don't know. So with, with the foresight so far, I don't see it. I don't see it happening. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough, but it's the reality of the situation, guys. Once again, I'm joined by my cousin Sadiq Abdul promoter, sports analyst in the D.C. area, uh, making his monthly appearance on the Quarterly Report. But it's not just this podcast you can catch my cousin on. He'll be on the latest episode of the Rail World Podcast, the Rail World Podcast, another local guy, D.C. product, doing big things. Check out my cousin on the latest episode, either end of July, beginning of August. It's, you can download that podcast wherever you listen to other pods, Apple I. Apple Podcast, iTunes, etc. Y'all know where to get it. All right, Dick. So the first first hot take I gave, you rock it with me. Let's see if we can go two for two. We all know about the big NBA trade that shook up the league in the landscape where the Spurs traded Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green to Toronto for Jakob Pertl, a protected first-round pick, and, of course, all-star DeMar DeRozan. I understand completely why the, the Raptors did it, and I understand that the Spurs, they were in – you know, between a rock and a hard place. They had to make a move. However, tell me if I'm crazy or not. I do not foresee the Spurs continuing whatever it is, 23, 24, their 24-plus year streak of making the playoffs. I think their playoff run ends now. Tell me if I'm crazy or not. Yes. That's the stupidest thing I've heard <laughs> in, the middle, in the middle of something that I maybe bet. Kanye or Trump has said. Like, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. I'm going to tell you like this. So you're telling me, you, you're telling me, I know DeRosa's not elite, elite, but he's very, very good. He's a very good all-star, you know what I'm saying, consistent all-star. And you still have L.A. out there, which is, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge. You have two all-stars. You're giving Popovich two all-stars to basically end out his career, too, because Popovich is on the, you know, kind of on the way out in a sense, maybe another three, four years. We don't know the timetable, but he'll, you know, he's, he's headed out the door more so. And he would love to get another one at some point. Maybe not with this type of team. But anyway, of course they make the playoffs. Popovich with two All-Stars. I'm not saying they even are going to be a top-tier team, you know, top seed or anything. But they make the playoffs. They made the playoffs last year with just L.A. With just LaMarcus Aldridge, they made it. They made it all uh, playoffs. All right, bet. See, this is the beautiful thing about having a podcast and having it recorded for the world to hear. You feel me? Next year... I'm going to run this back. So, you know, you better hope that they make the playoffs, Slim, because I will bring this back. Oh, we can, oh, we, we can, we can even bet something. I'm, I, I'm willing to bet anything on this. How about we could we treat each other daughter to a, their favorite toy or something? I don't know. But you, we got to bet something. All right, yeah, that's cool. Or dinner bet, something light. But, yeah, we can absolutely yeah, work something out something. like that. But hear me out, right? Mm -hmm. Back to the, your original point. You said that he has two All-Stars. You and I both know DeMar DeRozan, although he was an all-star in the Eastern Conference, he's not going to sniff the, the all-star game out West. 
You understand? Like, Jeff Teague was an all-star in the Eastern Conference not too long ago. He ain't come close to making the all-star team once he went out to the Western Conference. It's just not going to happen. He's still a top three. He's still a top three two-guard in the whole NBA. still a top three two-guard. Top three? Yes, he is. DeMar DeRozan is not a top three shooting guard in the NBA. I think Bradley Beal is a better shooting guard than DeMar DeRozan. And y'all know I'm not the biggest Beal fan, but just in the Western Conference, James Harden, Klay Thompson, Jimmy Butler. Boom. He's better than Jimmy Butler. No, he is not. You know what? Whatever. Back to your original point, right? And what's important to remember, the San Antonio Spurs were the seventh seed last season. The seventh seed, right? So it wasn't like they were world beaters. And the Western Conference is significantly better this year than it was last season. Need I remind everyone, right? The Los Angeles Lakers just signed LeBron James. So unless you think LeBron James is not going to make the playoffs, number one, I need to make sure... I have whomever believes that have a drug test. You understand? So I need to make sure y'all know on this new K2, that new joint that Bama's was ODing on, whatever, whatever. Right? That's number one. And number two, if you believe correctly that the Los Angeles Lakers make the playoffs next season, that means a playoff team who did make the playoffs last year has to fall out. Right? So you do the math. Portland, that's the team that's going to fall out. How about that right there? Portland's going to fall out. After getting swept two straight years in the first round, you know, they might get the bickering. They're going to pop. They're going to mess around trade one of those two guards in the middle of the season anyway. Either McCullough or, or Dame is going to get traded. That's who's going to fall out. Portland right there. There you go. There you go. That's your team. And Minnesota, don't, don't, don't be surprised at Minnesota. Cap plays so terrible that he might come back and have a terrible season because people on his back. Like, he was, I don't even think he, he just don't seem like he's that type. Like, I feel like some people you can motivate and they'll come back strong. Like, I got something to prove. You know what I mean? Like, that's one thing I always loved about Wall. You doubt him, he's going to come strong at you. You doubt Carl Anthony, man. He look like he want to go curl up in a in a in a corner somewhere. Like he might tank a little bit. His career, you know what I mean? Yeah, Minnesota going down. That's what nah, it is. Nah, cause I can't do that. Cat, it was his first playoffs. I'm not gonna rip a dude who had a monster year and had a bad playoffs in his first experience. Nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Oh, I am. I am. I don't care. He done played the AAU. He done played the AAU. He done played in Kentucky. He done played all these great places. So I don't want to hear that first year playoffs. When I say first year, all right, first year NBA playoffs, I agree. I'm not asking you to go out there and drop 30 points with a triple double and all this. But you're gonna do better than to be my best player, my my center. You're at the you're at the rim. You're gonna do better than give me five points and like six rebounds and all that. And then not even wanting the ball. And then you're going you're gonna to do better than the other team, Houston, putting their three guard, you know what I'm saying, their small forward checking you, and you don't demand the ball. Yeah, I got a problem with that. It's a reason why, I, it's a reason why they call him Cat, because that's, that's exactly <laughs> what he played like. Stupid joke. <laughs> All right, you know what? We have to agree to disagree on that one. Only time will tell. That's the beauty of sports. Come back. We're going we to keep on doing this podcast, so come back around next year, April. We'll be able to have uh, a final uh, projection, a final winner into who makes the, the playoffs, the Spurs or whomever, right? All right, guys, once again, I'm joined by my cousin, Sadiq Abdul, promoter, sports analyst, the whole nine, uh, making his monthly appearance on the quarterly report, playing the game that we always do. He gets the opportunity to hear my takes and tell me if I'm crazy or not, right? So finally, we, d- we broke down the, the Wizards, we broke down the Spurs. We're going to step outside of the basketball, or at least the NBA for a second, with our last topic. Um, this past year, I remember last year when we first did the show, one of your people, Ant, he hit you up and you showed me. And he was like, yo, Armand needs to talk about the big three, right? And then last year, I wasn't really even 
following it like that to 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 have it on the show to talk about it. But this year, I've, I'm all in. I've enjoyed the big three so much this year. It's so fun, and it's it's new, it's creative, it's fresh, and they're hitting on all cylinders. And it's only year two for them, but you can see the growth and how productive and how entertaining their product is. So am I crazy for thinking that the big three success will translate, right? And is a reason to be confident in these second tier professional football leagues, right? Like the XFL or the Embersol Sun. I think it's like the AAFL. Am I crazy for believing that the big three success is a positive sign that one of these secondary professional football leagues will also be a successful product? This is the prime time that they have a, a chance. You know, like right now with a whole bunch of stuff going on with the NFL left and right and some people boycotting for various reasons or and then the rule change in the NFL would, you know, make it kind of softer here and there. Whereas, you know, the other leagues, they can actually pay attention to what, pe- what fans are saying that they don't like about the NFL and probably implement it into theirs. Like, so basically if, if the NFL is getting soft as far as, you know, no, uh, no hand checking down the field and no hitting in the middle and all this type of stuff, they might implement that like, you know what, we're going to bring that over here and people want to see hits. We're going to give them hits. You know what I mean? So therefore, this is the they need to strike while the iron's hot. This is the perfect time that I, I do think the leagues will work. And somebody, I mean, and then for real, they might even throw money into people that like somebody like Johnny. Johnny had to go up uh, Canada or whatever. But let's say another year or two, they might bring Johnny down. Somebody that has the star, you know, the star power that can, you know, attract people to watch just for just enough to get that get thing going. You know, I mean, it's the, it's the prime time to do it, even though, like, even a big baller league isn't really doing anything. But, you know, he's at least trying to start something. You know what I mean? So this is the perfect time that I think people will pay attention enough. I mean, people actually pay attention to arena football. So, so yes, I, I can see XFL or whatever, you know, the initials are for it, that, that I can see it, you know, being a success right now. Because the big three is definitely, bef- definitely uh, uh, leading the way right now. I love the big three. And somebody, whoever's out here listening, you know, you never know who knows who and everything. Somebody sent this to Kobe, KG, and Paul Pierce. I'm trying to get them on the same team if I can on the, in the big three somehow. Please. I would love to see that as a fan. Like, I love the big three. Hey, shout out Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, too. That's my guy, man. He just don't miss. Yeah, my, Abdul-Raouf is a killer. And, and that touches on another point, why the big three has been so successful. They have recognizable names, guys who can still mm-hmm, play. Exactly. One of the reasons why I was so hesitant to get in the big three is because I thought these dudes were going to be dropping left and right, tearing ACLs, pulling hamstrings, yada, yada, yada. With the exception of maybe uh-huh. a small few, these guys are still yeah. capable players. You know what I'm saying? And they have red name recognition. And I think they have established the blueprint, different sports, obviously. But if you could get guys who people love, people un- people know and will follow – then that's, I mean, Gary Payton is the head coach. Rick Mahorn is the head coach. Steven Charles Oakley is the head coach. These are guys who are beloved and have the certain number, amount of name cachet, name recognition that will pull in viewers. If these leagues could get a T.O. or a Michael Vick or, like you said, Johnny Manziel, maybe even pull Tim Tebow out of his baseball pursuit, who knows what you yeah. got. I'm going to tell you another reason why season two has been great. My man, BD, I was the biggest BD fan. That's Baron Davis, for anybody know. He's out there. Oh, my God. I was too excited to see BD out there. Like, you know, yeah. So, you know, that's part of it. You know, you got to you gotta go go find these guys that want to play with it or something like that. Like, I'm telling you like this, even the XFL and all that, 
man, get Johnny. Like I said, get Johnny on as the quarterback and go get T.O. as the receiver. I'm ch- I'm tuning all the way in. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. All right, guys, as always, that was my cousin Sadiq Abdul, promoter, sports analyst. Make sure you check him out on the Rail World podcast. Super dope podcast, D.C. bread, D.C. area guy doing big things. Again, the Rail World podcast. You can make sure you download and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, etc. Deke, as always, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report, and can't wait to hear from you next month. Hey, man, I love it, man. Appreciate you having me on, as always. That was a lot of fun. And according to my cousin, I'm not that crazy with my takes. I got one crazy-ish take, and we'll find out next year how crazy it was. I feel like it was prophetic in a bit. But if you agree or disagree with me or my cousin or just want to get involved in the family feud, email the show at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet the show at quarterlyshow, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, show, and get involved. Let me know, let my cousin know, let the world know your position on some of the takes that I spit out each and every week or something that you just want to hear me to discuss. It's all fun. It's all love. I appreciate you guys so much for listening, and I love it when you guys interact with me in the show. So get involved, interact with the show, and get your voice heard. All right, guys, that was the third quarter. We've got one quarter left, so let's get to it. The fourth topic. The fourth quarter. There is a word that has dominated the discourse in our, in the sports society as of late. But in reality, loyalty is something that players and fans have been talking about since the beginning, I'm assuming, of sport. Definitely since the beginning of free agency. And... This is how we're going to end the show and spend our entire fourth quarter talking about because I don't know about you all, but I find kind of this 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 atmosphere, this pleading for lo- and begging of loyalty. It's becoming tiring, honestly, as it pertains to sports. Look, we in our personal lives. We want loyalty, right? We want our friends to be loyal, our significant others, our partners. Trust is essentially what we're talking about when it comes to loyalty, right? I want you to feel as strongly and be willing to do as much as I am for our relationship. In basic terms, right? When you talk about loyalty, you want someone that you can trust, someone that knows they can trust you and have a shared uh, sense of responsibility in nurturing a relationship. But that's when we're talking about equals. You want loyalty from your friends. You do not have a position of power over said friends, right? And loyalty has taken the forefront because of a lot of different plays, right? In the NFL, NFL offseason, people renegotiating, people being cut, people being like, it's all the time. Well, this team wasn't loyal to me. This team stabbed me in the back. In the NBA, Isaiah Thomas felt like the Celtics weren't loyal to him, right? DeMar DeRozan has been the man at the forefront talking about loyalty and disloyalty as it pertains to the Raptors. And fans over the years, no matter the sport, right? This 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 person wasn't loyal. LeBron left, leaves Cleveland. He wasn't loyal to us. We burn his jersey. Dwayne Wade leaves Miami. He wasn't loyal to us. Dwayne Wade's camp says that the Heat weren't loyal to him. Julio Jones is holding out. Fans, he's not loyal. 
Manny Machado gets traded. Orioles fans, the ones who aren't the ones who aren't sensible. Uh, Manny wasn't loyal to us. I see it with Nationals fans bracing themselves with Bryce Harper. So whether it's from a player, whether it's from organizations, and definitely as it pertains to fans, we in the sports culture throw loyalty around without really un- I, I again I can't be alone in just kind of looking at how things are covered and being like man we're doing this completely wrong I get why DeMar DeRozan was hurt you know I am looking at his situation from the eyes of a 35 year old man and while I think that even as a 20 something year old man I would be able to understand it there's a lot that goes into this. DeMar DeRozan was drafted by the Toronto Raptors at the age of, what, 18, 19? So, essentially, not even essentially, all of his adult years has been spent with this organization. He literally grew from a boy to a man. It's the only team outside of America in the NBA. It is the only team that he has played for thus far. It is... A lifestyle, someone who is from Compton, went to USC, and then moves to Toronto. You know, I can imagine, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine, really, the bond and the closeness he has, not with not with just the organization, but with that city. And you can see when you listen to fans for, of the Raptors who are from or live currently in Toronto, there is a really strong bond between city, team, and player. I get that. But how many players have to tell these guys every single year there is a player, whether it's a veteran or a player, you know, in the middle of his prime talking about there is no loyalty. This is a business. We hear it all the time, no matter the sport. This is a business. LeBron James not only is the best player of his generation, not only is LeBron one of the best players of all time, LeBron has taken right a leadership position when it comes to players when it comes to player movement and player kind of independence and he has said it for years now i'm not giving these owners an inch i'm not giving these owners a discount at all so anytime i hear of a player taking a quote-unquote hometown home team discount i'm thinking to myself why you think they're going to give you a home team bonus? Don't play yourself. Don't play yourself. Now, we can dig way deeper into this discussion because as it pertains to some of these, like, surefire NBA players and, and the NCAA and all this stuff that goes along with amateurism, if these guys are going to go to school, some of these guys definitely need to know business. They need to take this stuff. They need to understand finances. They need to understand contract situations because some of these guys, and they're so young, I get it. Some of these guys, you know, they're away from their families. They're, we all are looking for family and looking for togetherness and a bond at 18, 19 years old. We all are. So I get why these players have this kind of, I don't know, wide-eyed, naive even, sense of, you know, comfort and, and family when it pertains to their teams that they get drafted to or end up with. But the sooner they understand that they are a 
They are an employee. They are not a family member. Because look, if you feel that DeMar DeRozan is part of the Raptors family, then yeah, the way you view the trade to the Spurs will definitely shape your opinion. But if you view DeMar DeRozan in, as an employee of the Raptors and Masai Ujiri as one of the execs, Masai Ujiri did the organization a bonus. He did them a solid. He improved the team, which is Masai's job. It is not Masai's job to make sure DeMar DeRozan feels well. DeMar DeRozan's got $27 million, a reason of why he should feel well. DeMar DeRozan is an all-NBA player who has consistently underperformed in the playoffs. Consistently. That's not me being hyperbolic. That is me stating facts. So what, is Masai supposed to just kind of turn his head up? Like, you know what, I could make my team better, but that's going to hurt my players' feelings? Is that how you would run your business? Is that how you would want someone to run your business? Let's be honest. And also, let's be honest, when it comes to loyalty. Let's say the Raptors were bad, missed the playoffs for the next two years, right? DeMar DeRozan's getting older. You don't think he would ask for some changes, possibly ask to be traded? It's a two-way street, right? If it's going to be loyalty, boom. And this goes for all of us as we all play a role in sport, right? We as fans watch these guys and part drive up their salaries because we are so invested. We invest our time and our dollar, right? So television revenues goes up, salary caps goes up, my contracts goes up. It's, a, it's We all play a part. We all have some role to play. So we as fans can't get upset when players who honor their contracts then leave and then talk about how disloyal they are. No, they're not. They're employees. I never understood why LeBron, why fans got mad at LeBron. Even if I try to shoot people into Cleveland some bail, like, okay, maybe that was embarrassing. Y'all went out on television. He was a free agent, so it wasn't like he left you on television. His contract was up. He just decided to go somewhere else. He didn't leave anybody. He was like, we have this weird kind of understanding of what a contract means and what it doesn't. LeBron honored his contract. Then he decided to sign a contract elsewhere. That doesn't mean he left. You know? If your boss signs a contract or your favorite television anchor signs a contract and then that contract is up and they decide to go somewhere else that better suits their career and their aspirations, they didn't leave. You know, they didn't they weren't disloyal to your market. They took a better job. <laughs> that's not disloyalty. That's intelligence. Now, there is a difference. One of the reasons why y'all heard me talk about this before. One of the reasons why I'm kind of, you know, looking at Kyrie sideways. Kyrie didn't honor his contract with the Cavaliers. In fact, he threatened to have surgery if he wasn't forced out of Cleveland. So if you want to be up, like, you know what I'm saying? If you want to be upset at somebody, don't get upset at LeBron, who honored his contract. Get upset at Kyrie. He wanted so much to leave Cleveland that he forced, he threatened surgery. 
surgery that he ended up needing to have anyway. Karma. So just like players can't get upset at execs for making the best decision, fans can't get mad at players for making their best decision for them as well. Because that's the role. That's how this game is played. That's the barter. That's how we barter things here, right? You have a contract. And this isn't the NBA because in the NFL, it's all over the place because contracts literally mean nothing in the NFL. But DeMar DeRozan being upset at, like, at, at Masai and the, the Raptors front office, for what? What are you upset at? I get that you wanted, you thought that you, like the Raptors gave you five years, five years. I think if anything, they've been extremely loyal. You know, it's not like they shipped you off to, to go play with the Kings. You went to the Spurs. You went to one of the best organizations in North American sports. So they didn't do you dirty. There is some, I guess, there is some misunderstanding in terms of honesty and who told whom what. And if Masai told DeMar DeRozan, look, man, we're never going to trade you. And they ended up trading him. I can see why DeMar DeRozan will be upset. Do I feel that Masai Jerry told DeMar DeRozan that he wouldn't be traded? No. I think he probably chose his words a little bit careful. Like Masai Jerry traded Carmelo Anthony. You know? Like these guys act like just because you're you're good, you can't be traded. That's not how it works. The Lakers traded Shaq to Miami. You know? Akeem Olajuwon got traded. Patrick Ewing got traded. You mean to tell me that DeMar DeRozan feels he can't be? Get out of here. Like, let's be honest. It's a business. We hear it over and over again. So how is it that these guys keep on talking about their feelings and loyalty? And why is it that we as fans keep trying to act like these players don't understand that they could be moved at any moment? So the moment they actually do have power, why do we get upset and then talk about how disloyal these players were to a team? That's not how it works. I don't know if we got to have a, a, a societal talk about the definition of loyalty. You know how they, you know, the, the, the word of the day. But we really need to sure up how we view and how we think about loyalty. Because if the last two weeks have shown me anything is that we as a sports culture, have no clue. And that's everybody. Players, front offices, fans. Loyalty does not mean that you can't be moved. Loyalty does not mean a player can't leave after honoring his contract. That is not what loyalty means. Masai Ujiri has a job. His job is to make the Toronto Raptors the best team possible. And he did that, hands down. DeMar DeRozan is not losing any money. In fact, he's gaining money. DeMar DeRozan has still a chance to compete at a high level and play for a top-notch organization. He has to move. He doesn't have a trade clause, a no-trade clause. There is nothing disloyal about that. I want to thank each and every one of you loyal listeners to the show. I appreciate you. I love you so much. 
I thank you so much for rocking with me. Episode 66 of the Quarterly Report has come to an end. Remember, email me at the show, quarterlyreport at gmail.com, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. Get involved, interact with me. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear from me, what you want to hear on future shows. Also, you can tweet at the show, Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. That's on Twitter. Same way, same rules apply. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, what do you want to hear in the upcoming shows. Also, five-star reviews, ladies and gentlemen. Please give your boy five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Podknife, the whole nine. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there. Let the world know. Review the show. Let the world know. Let me know. Let everyone know what you like about the show and while you're at it, please give us some five-star reviews. I would greatly appreciate it. 66 episodes down, and I will see you right back here next week for episode 67 of the Quarterly Report.